0: in hell a look back
1: at saturday night live with your hosts matt and keith brought to you by lion's den audio theater like and subscribe to lion's den audio
0: theater for more lion's den goodness and here are your hosts keith
2: and matt saturday night live season three episode 17 starring michael Sarrazin, originally aired on april 15th 1978 Hello, welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy Matt. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, rainy and cold here, so I'm I'm, I'm seizing up a little bit. I see. Joining us again, first time in quite some time, the Steve Martin Jackson Brown episode. That feels like ages ago. It's, it's Kevin. Yeah, that seems like a century ago. So it's Kevin, folks. He's back. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Hello, back, everyone. Kevin. It's been a long time, but thanks for sticking around and, and, and remembering us. Always happy to be here. Always happy to be thanks, here. Thank you, buddy. So tonight we have Michael Sarazin. Do either of you guys recognize him? Do you know much about him? Nothing. 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 I have no no earthly idea who he is. Okay he I, well he's montreal born um as we'll find out later his biggest film was they shoot horses don't they um which is one i saw a long time ago because i thought the title was pretty damn cool film and television guy like he sort of started in tv had a big jump in uh into uh film and then sort of went back into tv uh he's been deceased now he passed away in 2011 but uh, he had a real white hot streak there for a while, and then it kind of fizzled out. Um, at this point, oddly enough, he's kind of in his the fizzled. He's already fizzled a little bit as far as his not his work quality or anything like that, but as far as his you know name is concerned. Um, we have seen him before on the show. He was in the uh, Louise Lasser episode. He was in one of the uh, in the in the film she made at the diner, that bizarre half-meta film. I don't know if you remember that at all, Matt or not. He was doesn't in ring one? a
1: bell. Do not. No. Recall.
2: Okay. Got started in Canadian TV, branched out into American film, and then finished his time doing TV. Um, he was in a Deep Space Nine episode. The Quickening, it's called. And he did some Outer Limits uh, as well. So he was originally cast in the role of Joe Buck in Midnight Cowboy. But it wound up having to go to uh, John Voight. I think it was a contractual thing. And our uh, musical guests for tonight, Keith Jarrett and Gravity. Have you heard of either Keith Jarrett or Gravity? Also nothing. No. No. Okay, we'll talk about both of those acts, uh, which are quite different and yet similar in in some ways when we get to them. So we go to the cold open. Uh, We have Dan Aykroyd sitting there playing Jimmy Carter. He's giving a plant side chat instead of a fireside chat because it's spring and and it's too warm to be by the fire. He compares plants to inflation because both grow. He explains the notion of inflation and says the best way to deal with it is unemployment. He also wants everyone to burn 8% of their money, so prices will go down and people will wind up having more money for future burnings. Carter thinks the best way to do it is to start with his own family, and he makes his daughter Amy, played by Lorraine Newman again, who has a peanut piggy bank. He gets her to give him a dollar, and he burns the dollar in an ashtray that says the buck burns here. Aykroyd asks people to follow his example, and then Jimmy lets Amy say live from New York. I thought this was enjoyable. It was definitely topical at the time. Nice return to the cold opens for Dan's Carter. Nice to see Lorraine back as Amy. Not 100% full-flying excellence, but uh, this was, for me, an okay cold open. I felt it was kind of relevant, considering mm-hmm. how
0: inflation has come back in a big way nowadays. Yeah. Um, I do feel like I'm burning my money every day. Um <laughs> So I got a bit of a kick out of it. I just like his portrayal of uh, of Jimmy Carter. It really, like when he said plant side chat, I I had a, a very audible chuckle at that. I thought it was quite funny.
1: I also like Dan's Jimmy Carter. He doesn't always seem into it, but he was into it tonight. Yeah. Uh, I liked his administration pursuing the uh, unemployment angle joke, and uh, his Jimmy Carter smile. Like when he was talking about the eight percent. I love the Jimmy Carter smile. <laughs> And Lorraine killed it. We're going to burn the dollar, daddy, to fight inflation. She was so good. I really thought it was good energy, quick, smart jokes. Uh, I really liked it as a cold open.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, here they are. Like, we've seen them criticize Nixon ad nauseum. They made season one making fun of Ford. (laughs) And even in their mockery of Carter, he still, like... (laughs) An altruistic guy who's like, we're going to burn our money first, which I don't know. (laughs) We now go to the monologue. Sarazen comes down, says it's a new experience for him to do a show like this. Everyone is so busy doing their tax returns. He didn't have much time to talk to folks. It's also the anniversary of the Titanic sinking and the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's death, which is called Booth Day. And it's a day where actors typically have bad luck. He just hopes nothing will go wrong. This, to me, flat, flat monologue. I thought he was quite nervous. Um, There was nothing to it. Uh, it was a very weak monologue, I thought.
0: I was half expecting one of the cast members dressed as Abraham Lincoln come up and, like, do something weird or crazy with him. The only reason I like this monologue is because it's short. <laughs> I like things that are short, gets right into the show. But yeah, he didn't seem very comfortable kind of being up on stage and, and doing that, considering... Um, you know, where he's at. But again, he said himself, he's, he's, you know, it's not something he's used to doing. Again, it adds on to the, the feel I had towards this particular episode. So, you know, like we had a nice strong cold open and then kind of a uh, monologue like I'm here and here we go.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Worst monologue that I can remember in some time. It was blissfully short. Uh, maybe he wasn't comfortable. Maybe they weren't comfortable writing something for him. I don't know. But there yeah. was not a lot of jokes there and it was just, yeah, it was awkward and, blissfully quick but really terrible as a monologue
2: it almost looks to me like they've abandoned writing the monologues the last few have been uh, relatively weak
1: they're not paying too much attention to them no it's not a uh, it's not an important part of the show right now it
2: seems which is unfortunate, because to me, I know you've often said it's the cold open, or, or but it's also the monologue, too. Well, actually, it is the monologue when we meet the host, really, 90% of the time. This is the time when tone is supposed to be set. Yeah, it's your best
1: foot forward,
2: and I, I do hate when the host is in the cold open.
0: Well, it takes away from, you know, when you see him later on in different sketches, you, you, you get a, a sense of his, you know, his style of humor, how he's going to gel with the cast, and if it's just mm. a a one-sentence opening, not saying this with one sentence, but it might as well have been. Um, (laughs) And it's just a very, I don't want to say a tame joke, but it was just a very, you know, blasé introduction, and then it just goes into the first sketch.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of zapped some energy from that that, that, uh, cold open we had. We now go to a commercial for Angora Bouquet. Now, this is um, the facial soap that, makes you pretty but keeps you stupid we've seen this before matt kevin were you around for this one last time no i was not oh tell us your thoughts
0: um i liked it mostly because it has jane Curtin and bill murray two of my favorite cast members on snl i thought it was funny just her delivery of how she was just kind of a you know an, an, an empty-minded person just mm. talking about soap um it was funny it was
2: cute <laughs> i thought she I was really pretty, liked it <laughs> yeah i thought you're pretty excellent in this matt you're smitten with jane this is probably among the prettiest she's looked, eh? She looked pretty good, yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, uh, I, I don't know how I felt about it last time because I don't keep track, but uh, I, I didn't love watching it this time. I mean, it okay. was fine. It was nice and short, uh, which, again, I appreciated. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I think some things go too long in this show, but that's neither here nor there right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it fine. I, I chuckled. Yeah, jumps. I think you
2: really, I think you really liked it last time. Diminishing returns, perhaps. <laughs> the opposite of the crow mega watch, which you hated the first time and adored. This <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> we now go to uh, basically a feature-length film. <laughs> it's Josh, <laughs> Josh Ramsey, VD counselor. So most of the cast play students in a high school classroom. Bill and Lorraine play a couple of high school sweethearts who plan to get married. Jane, as their teacher, introduces Mr. Ramsey, a local counsellor who is there to advise the kids about STDs. Ramsey says uh, STIs, VD, whatever you want to call them, is an epidemic at the school. This is suddenly revealed to be a TV movie, and uh, Josh Ramsey is actually Peter Fonda. So we're back to the classroom. The kids giggle about STDs until he shows a picture of syphilis, and then shit gets real. Uh, he tells the kids if they think they might have any symptoms of VD. I'm not going to go over them. They should come to the clinic. Garrett asks Mr. Ramsey if he's ever had a VD, and he seems offended by the question. And says, no. Bill invites Lorraine to the big game as everyone leaves class. Lorraine stops Mr. Ramsey and asks if she can go to the clinic. He tells her to come after school, but she will have to miss her cheerleading practice, but agrees to go. We cut to after school at some lockers where we actually get some lines from Rosie Sh- Rosie Schuster and Ann Beats, two writers that we don't get to see as much. They're playing cheerleaders who are wondering what's up with Lorraine, who's actually her character's name, is Susie. We then cut to the clinic where uh, Susie and Mr. Ramsey are waiting for her test results to come back, and he says he needs her sexual contacts. She doesn't want to tell Johnny that she's had uh, that she has VD that she might have VD because that'll let him know that she had sexual intercourse with somebody else we then get cut to a locker room where john belushi greets bill who goes to the bathroom and he screams at the top of his lungs and then comes out and says my penis sure hurts when i urinate Belushi thinks that uh, Johnny might have VD, and Johnny's mad that Belushi made the comment because it implies that his girlfriend has VD. An announcement at a basketball game comes over the PA and asks anyone that's had sex with Susie, go to the office because she has venereal disease. Johnny goes home where he's greeted by his parents, Gilda and Dan. Dan then sees Susie's picture in the paper because she has venereal disease and health health authorities are looking for two other guys that have had sex with her, one of whom named Johnny. Dan asks Johnny if it's true and Johnny admits it. Gilda freaks out, Dan hits him with a rolled up newspaper and Johnny says he still wants to marry Susie. Dan yells and says, who would want to marry a girl he's already had sex with? The doorbell rings and it's Susie and Ramsey. Ramsey introduces himself as as the VD caseworker. Johnny says he hates Susie. The phone rings and it's the county health clinic. Susie's tests are back. It's not VD. It's just a yeast infection. Johnny asks why his penis hurts when he (laughs) urinates. And he's told it's basically a urinary tract infection. Lorraine asks if if, if Johnny still hates her. And he says, yes, he does. What an epic sketch. This is a parody of the after school specials at the time. I'm not sure if there's one particular movie they're parodying, but we do see this over and over again. And into the future, this is parodied over and over again. From where I sit, though, everyone was really good in this. It definitely had full cast and a lot of crew involvement. It wasn't the funniest sketch of all time, but it was funny. And I thought it maintained its funny for the duration. There were some really great lines in there and some really great delivery. Like this is probably the longest sketch we've seen in a while. It was good all around. I thought it was it was fine, uh, actually very good. The only thing I didn't get is why I make Josh Ramsey Peter Fonda. I thought that was just a little bit extra that added a couple seconds it didn't need. But the audience got a laugh. That's a huge recap, and I need a drink, fellas. To, <laughs> Tell oh, me what you think. <laughs> it was really long.
0: <laughs> that's the way you could put it. It was really long. Um, it did have some funny moments, some funny beats here and there. I feel like it could have been a little bit more absurd with how it was introducing everything. Like, part of me thought it was just like they, they made it funny because, haha, we're talking about venereal diseases and sex, and that's funny. Mm-hmm. Not I don't want to say gross out humor because <laughs> that was that won't be a thing for a few years, but like mm-hmm. kind of edgy esque humor. I don't understand the Peter Fonda thing. It, I did get it, you know, got a chuckle out of me for that little bit. The saving grace for me was uh, Dan and, and and Gilda as the parents. I actually got a huge kick out of their uh, their their parentage portrayal. It was fantastic. Everybody was there. Everybody acted well, but in terms of laughs, um, it could have used more. It just felt like. A legitimate after school special they could have shown. Like there was a weird seriousness to it that I uh-huh. wasn't expecting. Maybe that I maybe I the, the humor in that kind of overshot the landing for me, perhaps.
1: Lorraine has remarkable hair. I love Lorraine Newman's hair. That yeah, big poofy yeah. curly hair. I could look at it all day. She's like a disco horror queen. She belongs in this era. I do thought he looked I'm a right. little bit like Peter Fonda, uh, our host. And uh there was a couple of funny lines. It certainly sounds like V D to me. Do I get my penicillin shot now? And I agree with Kevin that they were hitting it a bit on the nose with the after school special bit. It actually just kinda started to feel like one. Belushi's face when Bill was screaming was fucking hilarious. Belushi uh really did great there. and Bill was great when he was talking about his uh his penis hurts when I urinate. Uh oh, I really like that <laughs> Dan read about her V D in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was great. Uh, But by the time Fonda is showing up at the house, I am exhausted with this sketch, and I want it to be over. Uh, I did think Yes, I Still Hate You was a good finish. And the one thing that I kind of kept thinking about, not really related to the material, you have no idea here in 1978 how bad it's about to get
2: yeah yeah they're making chlamydia jokes and uh yeah shit's about to fall you know in about three years it'll have a name you know
1: there will be lots of dead people lots of politics lots of questions anyway that's all i was thinking about the whole time
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and see it's funny i was watching it from the period like kevin touched on it there it's like this was a period where you could still say you know venereal disease and people would laugh without any (laughs) guilt you know yeah actually this was the period because it was after you know, after penicillin and before AIDS. So it was that safe period where you thought we can joke about this, you know,
1: very hedonistic decade.
2: Yeah. You wish you were there, don't you, Matt?
1: I mean, sometimes, but I'd have been dead, man. <laughs> I'd have died for sure. I would yeah, have, you wouldn't have
2: made 91, 92. You would have been, <laughs> you know, I struggle with
1: self-control.
2: I, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. I might be dead too, just from the ability to chain smoke at work.
0: <laughs> Touche. Yeah, oh, you could smoke anywhere back then, I know, like yeah. even on an airplane.
2: Yeah. So let's go to Keith Jarrett. Piano virtuoso, Pennsylvania-born, moved to New York. He played with groups like The Messengers, Miles Davis. He really had a great solo career, uh, extremely efficient in multiple ja- genres, known as something of an eccentric piano player, uh, as we see his physical movements, but he's also known to make uh, vocal exclamations. Um, at this point, his album, my song was due to come out in June. So today he's playing first for us. Uh, the song is called country and that's also from my song. So I'm of two minds about this performance, what a performance and what a performer. Um, we're going to get this sort of stuff on Saturday night live at this area era. I just, I enjoyed the music. I, I don't know why the booking, but I really enjoyed what he did with this song. And uh, that's about all I have for Keith Jarrett. The music set looks great. I like the, the face
1: he was making. It's like the face I would make if I was faking playing the piano. But it's just very nice to have something different. It was pleasant. Like, he's obviously extremely proficient. But, I mean, nothing stood out. There was no real melody to it. I did enjoy it more as it went on. And I kind of got a better sense uh, of the melody that was inside. But eh, it wasn't really super my style of music or anything. But, jeez, it was fine.
0: I didn't mind it. I think he was. I think he's a good artist. I really have to be in the mood to listen to something like that. Um, but coming off that incredibly long sketch and then going into this beautiful piano melody, I was ready to crawl into a bed and fall asleep. That was my that was my mentality at the time. I feel maybe pacing wise, maybe putting it like a, like a small sketch in between this musical act would have been a little bit better. Kind of like a nice palate cleanser before jumping into the music. Maybe something a little bit more energetic would have been better. My myself but uh yeah not bad but i don't know why it's
2: here on a late night show i say that a lot you know up to this point kevin you've had the most eclectic music guests with uh joan armatrading jackson brown <laughs> rye cooter and now keith jarrett people are not <laughs> going to figure out what my musical tastes are if
0: this no, is I the know. way it keeps
2: going <laughs> we are now going to judy miller and this is written by marilyn miller Um, Gilda plays Judy Miller, the little girl, in her brownie costume. She's making a crown out of foil and cardboard. um, And she's singing to herself about her sister who had to go to her room for hitting her. She then goes into pretending to host a TV show, which she calls the Hate Jennifer Show. Now, I could go into the details, but I'm just going to say this is basically Gilda reenacting or enacting a story about her sister who she hates going to the woods, getting eaten by a monster, getting hit by a car, getting attacked by a shark. She's doing songs about her sister, and she's doing all this while jumping on chairs and couches and an ottoman and running all over the room, Um, even at one point, I think, even off the official set. Finally, Jane, as Judy's mom, calls in and uh, says that Jennifer's sorry and they want to play with Barbies, and Judy is happy to play with Barbies. Wow, tons of energy, very funny character, Uh, physically flawless. This looks like a sketch where they just gave Gilda, you know, a rough outline. This is what it looks like. It probably wasn't, but it looks like they gave her a rough outline and said, go to town, have fun by yourself. A tad longer than I would have liked, and there were definitely some words that get lost. I'm blaming the changes in tech for that. I thought this was really a tour de force for Gilda. Still didn't like it as much as the other Judy Miller one, which we saw in her bedroom, but this was pretty darn good as well.
1: Gilda's ability to play these roles is almost alarming. I did find this a bit, Noxiously real and i did think it was too long it almost felt like an acting reel like something she would have sent into a casting director uh, and i kind of found the energy exhausting and my one real laugh is when jane called to her and she was just laying down she was like so her, her ability to do these is unquestionable uh, she's exceptional at it she's done it before i'm sure she'll do it again but i feel like i've seen it before and uh yeah it was, it was a little little heavy for me not heavy like subject matter wise but i'm like ugh." Still going. OK. And I, yeah, I found it tiring. She was exhausting.
0: I found it very grating at first, a yelling child. But then as it kept going, it started to get funny and then it stopped being fun. Like it had like high and low points for me, like or it would be kind of just like I'm super irritated. Please be over and be like, oh, OK, that's funny. And then as it kept going, it got you know a little bit more fun to watch. And then it got super tiring again. I love Gilda. I think she does a really good job with you know a lot of the characters that she plays. Wasn't feeling a lot of love for this one. I did enjoy the ending of it better than what we've gotten so far tonight. That's it for Judy Miller,
2: Matt and Kevin. That's the uh, end of the line for this character. I thought this was one of them characters that made about 45 appearances. Like, I thought this was another Emily. The impact, I guess, is a lot stronger than the number of times we've actually gotten to see her. Weekend Update. It's, of course, hosted by Jane and Dan again. And this one's brought to you by Ferrier, Instead of Perrier. The mineral water that goes back and forth to Staten Island. Ted Kennedy's people deny that he's in, uh, involved with uh, Susie Chaffee, also known as Susie Chapstick. She is going to change her name, though, to Susie Chappaquiddick. Terrible joke. Too, too soon. Bill reviews American Hot Wax and unveils a new star, Lorraine Newman. He says, remember that name because she's a perky little dynamo. And he says he flew to Los Angeles for an interview where she is filming a new movie with Robert Mitchum. Cl- cut to a clip where they're in a swanky dressing room. He asks her why she how she became famous, and she said because she really wanted it. And she's using a voice similar to her Alice voice and she's doing this thing where she's twisting her arm behind her head. She says she's a bit impulsive, and one day she wanted to go to the beach, and a friend came to her door and said she also wanted to go to the beach, so they went to the beach. She then goes and gets in the bath during the interview and says she's really happy, and she wonders if Bill is happy. He then offers to help her with the sponge. They then sit in front of a window that she says is an exact exact replica of Central Park that Paramount made for her in L.A. so she wouldn't miss New York. Back at the desk, Bill says he expects big things from her and tells her not to forget the little people and the little interviewers she met on the way up. We then have a Orson Welles elephant joke, and then we have a point-counterpoint about the neutron bomb, and they bounce back and forth. Uh, Dan does not say Jane, you ignorant slut, but he does call her an aging, dried-out old hag. We then go to Rosanna Rosanna Dana to talk about Spring Fever, And it's a letter written by Doris Powell. And Doris Powell is one of the show's productions assistants. Roseanne does a bit about not becoming a nun because you sweat too much at the beach. She, She says she's tough. She used to be a tomboy. Her mother gave her a book called Why Jane Can't Go Swimming, and uh, she looks at Jane. Jane sort of thinks for a second, and then snaps. We get the it's all with something. For me, this is not a bad update. It's actually probably, again, the topping as the best update we've seen in a while. Jane is great. I really like the Lorraine bit. Uh, there were only a couple jokes in there. Roseanne was stronger. Uh, I'm wondering, I'm starting to really think that that hair has grown out even more. Dan basically contributes nothing, um, and we've been through this, so there's not really much else to say about Aykroyd uh, for me on the Weekend Update desk right now. Uh, I should say Dan does contribute to Point Counterpoint, but that's about all he uh, all he does for us.
0: I don't know why Dan is there. He's just He just kind of hangs out there for the most part. I feel like they could have just brought him in for the Counterpoint part and have him kind of be very aggressive at the start and then go into that bit, and it might have got a little bit more from it. Jane does a great job by herself, and I, I really enjoy her. Roseanne, Roseanne and Dana part was easily the highlight for me for this weekend update. Um, I really enjoyed that a lot. The Lorraine bit was touch and go for me. I like Lorraine. I like, you know, th- we, there were spots in it that was funny, but it just seemed kind of like a, a, a weird little segue. Uh, could have been again, could be a bit stronger. I really think they need to, you know, retire Dan Aykroyd from doing weekend update or maybe give him something more to do because he just kind of has mm-hmm. little bits here and there and they really don't accomplish much
1: the uh the ferrier joke made me laugh i, I haven't seen an uh, american hot wax but i do like bill's showbiz character uh and i thought the, the interview was okay i did enjoy point Counterpoint again so that's two for two for me but roseanne rosanna dana felt a bit tired this time uh, other than saying nana rosanna dana which i thought was pretty funny jane's outburst was just so expected dana so incidental and pointless i just thought it was fine i, I didn't like it so much
2: we now go to a sketch called Penalty Box. Now, I'm just going to assume this was written by Aykroyd. Dan is in the Penalty Box at a hockey game. Bill is playing a teammate who was sent into the box. And Michael Sarazen plays an opponent called La Viol- Violette. Brian doyle Murray's there uh, skating around. And they're on roller skates, actually. Um, he's playing the ref. So Novello charges La Violette. Uh, Garrett gets caught in the... Novello is Bill Murray's character. Garrett, as a security guard, gets caught in the middle. Dan is then released from the penalty box, only to be sent right back. He decides to sit uh, over with Sarazen, and they start chatting and jumping back and forth between languages. They talk about uh, Quebec independence, being traded to different teams. Sarazen has been married to a Texas cowgirl. Garrett says Laviolette's pretty tough. Dan says his brothers are tougher. He says while he and Laviolette play in the NHL and the WHA, their brothers play in the FLQ play for the FLQ. Tom Davis as an audience member, dumps popcorn on Dan's head as he, Dan tries to charge him over the boards. I laughed through this whole thing. Um, I'm bilingual. I spent plenty of time in Quebec. This is pretty spot on for conversations that happen in a situation where there's, you know, French folks in an English setting or, or something along them lines. Sarah's a Quebecois. Dan Aykroyd uh, grew up in Hull, Quebec, I think. He also had a French-Canadian mother. They nailed the accents perfectly. Now, 90% of my enjoyment of this is it's, it's Canadian content. It's something, you know. I've seen many, many times. It's how some of my friends and co-workers have talked and, and speak. Uh, also, just kind of saying things like, wow, they mentioned the WHA or holy shit FLQ on American TV. So I, I even got to hear some tabernacles, which are really neat. I told, I told Kevin before we started recording, there's like a sketch in there that looks like, you know, they said we'll write one for Keith in 50 years. So uh, I kind of <laughs> enjoyed this.
0: I liked it. Mostly because I've been watching a lot of Shorzy the past little bit, so I'm kind of in a in a hockey mood. But like growing up around, you know, my older brother used to play hockey a lot, so kind of being in that hockey hockey atmosphere, I kind of related to it a little bit. And uh, doing some shows in Montreal a few years back, absolutely loved the the quebeco accent like uh-huh. how how they nailed that perfectly so clearly it had to have been written by dan Aykroyd because i don't know anyone else on the on the writer staff that might be able to kind of uh-huh. emulate what they were going for there you know a little a little gem and a okay show so far
1: i'll be odd man out on this one i did not care for it at all I, uh, I i didn't like them sitting there shooting the shit i didn't really get the references i didn't understand them for the most part And uh, other than their funny voices and like the occasional reference I was missing, uh, it was pretty jokeless for the outsider. So I I just kind of sat through it. It did not work for me.
2: Uh, Bill was named Novello because Don Novello was originally playing one of the referees and he slipped on the roller skates and broke his hip during rehearsal. So uh, that was sort of a get well soon, Don. And uh, yeah, we had Brian Doyle Murray, I think, with his first speaking part. We now go to E-Buzz Miller's exercise world, and it's E-Buzz, Dan, and Christy Christina, Lorraine. We've seen E-Buzz a few times, so this time they're going to talk about exercising, and they're both dressed in athletic wear. Um, E-Buzz sits on the couch, he lights up a smoke, and he gets Christina to do all the exercises, starting with squats. He gets her to put her legs further apart and uh, go up and down faster, and he giggles the whole way through. She says she could do this all day, and he says, I bet you could. He then has her do leg lifts, spreading her legs apart, and he has her do side leg lifts. He has her do uh, an exercise he developed himself. She has to bend her feet back to touch her head, and then he has her lift a chair, and he stands behind her as she does it. He says she's definitely been developing her pecs. He starts doing push-ups and asks if she wants to go underneath and help him out. He says it's important to stay in shape, especially you broads. Um, I love these characters. Absolutely hilarious. This guy's a complete creep and she's 100% into it. These guys are absolutely ridiculous and I can't help but get a really cheap kick out of E-Buzz and Christy Christina.
1: I love this sketch. E-Buzz Miller is hilarious. Dan's the smoke and the tracksuit the greasy hair and the sweaty brow uh it was a total package he nailed it and lorraine's lap is great she was really good uh with it i like the i have to remember she's dancing off route six my favorite part of the whole sketch though was the push-ups with the smoke in the mouth i thought that was awesome
0: he plays a dirtbag so well like my god i, I absolutely love this sketch. Dan Aykroyd is so good. I felt like I needed to take a shower after the sketch, to be honest. That's how uh, I felt. It was very, like, greasy,
2: uncomfortable (laughs) comedy. And I loved every second of it. We now have Keith Jarrett back again. Uh, He plays My Song. This is, of course, from the album My Song. This is a slow tempo, more classical sound than the the original uh, My Country. I enjoyed it. Definitely a worse fit than the first one. I enjoyed this one more. I, I thought it was prettier
1: and uh, it was shorter, which I also appreciated. But I mean, it was, you know, same style of music, uh, different composition. Uh, I also thought it was fine, but I, I did like it more than the first one. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was really uh, a pretty melody.
0: Better place than the first first round um, because it came after like you a know, short sketch that had a lot of energy to it. And then this comes on and it plays. I thought it kind of flowed a little bit better. Still not my choice for, you know, Late night music, but um, yeah, it, it was a lot better timed, a little bit more enjoyable than the first song. Could be worse. We have yeah, had worse.
2: Has <laughs> been worse. Will be worse. <laughs> um, we now go to Schiller's reel. Um, this one is La Dolce Gilda, and it's of course another uh, Tom Schiller joint. Obviously an homage to Fellini's La Dolce Vita. So Gilda gets out of a car. Fancy nighttime party. This whole thing is done in black and white very much in a European style. She's at a uh, restaurant or a club, and people are calling out her name. We go in, she's surrounded at her table by friends and priests and people in odd makeup. There's random clips about people making comments about television, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and how boring and stupid everyone is. There's random shots of these pretentious-looking, eclectic people. There's a lot of activity going on at a different table, And people swarm Gilda at her table and start chanting her name. She runs away and we see her the next morning. And she's angry at the camera for following her. But she says she's teasing and she calls the camera closer and says she loves them but wants to be left with her dreams. And there's a sad clown that's been following her. He opens his coat and shows a heart and then lets a balloon go. Um, this is a beautiful piece. Uh, this is really, really good. Gilda Strong. This one, for me, is probably a better overall film than Don't Look Back in Anger. But I much prefer Don't Look Back in Anger. Doing an homage, really. It's not a parody. It's, uh, it's not even overly funny. But it's got a sort of quirky copy of, you know, Fellini, European cinema in general. Really good piece that, you know, in a different sort of context, could have probably done well at, like, art houses with just a few little tweaks and it was nice to see a lot of the cast there doing something different and something kind of wacky Beyond, you know, just a sketch bit. So, because we haven't seen much of that lately.
1: I liked, uh, I thought Lorraine was good in her little side role demanding champagne and caviar, and she looked mm. great. But, uh, you know, there's, there's something about uh, this sketch that just made me existentially sad about Gilda, breakout star of the show, fan darling, amazing <laughs> actress. You know, then the like, shortly the show will end and she will try to have a baby and fail and then she'll die. <laughs> and seeing this uh, sweet sketch with her in it acting like this and you know just being so different and kind of having this more mature role that she would never realize later Yeah, made me sad
0: i enjoyed it it's, it's it's kind of a weird it's kind of weird it's weird it's weird i love weird stuff like i love this kind of uh filmmaking and like uh-huh. style it's it's you know at the end i'm just kind of shrugging, like what the hell did i just watch i actually had to watch it a couple of times just because you know i, I really enjoyed it and i kind of wanted uh-huh. to catch all the little bits and pieces here and there strangely haunting like maybe even moving to a degree like i can understand how like part of me is like well it's not funny because it's in the sketch go and it's not funny and then there's another part of me is like kevin you're allowed to enjoy something that's not funny in a sketch show you know it's, it's, it's supposed to be you know it's an art form. That's what it's supposed to be. And uh, kind of coming to terms with that. I really liked it. I did
2: really like it. Yeah. So we liked it. Uh, Schiller also had the opportunity to show it to Fellini, who actually really liked it as well. I think he said it had a feel similar to his own. This was said to be filmed either at or around one of the cast parties after the show, which I completely believe. Um, and then they, stuck, they They hung around until till the sun came up to shoot the last bit with gilda any surprise there that this might have been what the cat this might have been done at, a, at, a, at an, an after party everybody's having a really good time like it has that kind of energy to it where you know like
0: uh let's just fuck around and find out essentially um yeah. and it worked out really well for them because some you know some of the best bits for some shows is just you know everybody who's working together that has like a really good professional relationship kind of coming together and doing something just you know out of the box out of their wheelhouse and then yeah. you know putting it together and see what it looks like
2: was one of the murray brothers bill or brian was one of them the clown at the end the i thought clowns? it was i thought it was bill um i did too yeah i don't know either yeah i, I was sure it was bill murray as the clown at the end we now go to a Chiron and uh, bill murray dressed as abraham lincoln where was he at the beginning kevin he points at the lady next to him when <laughs> it says she's glad to be anywhere So, yeah, he's he's in the audience on booth day. And until I read this note back, I didn't get the joke.
0: That's kind of what I wanted from the beginning is to have one of the cast members as him. And and maybe like maybe not shoot him, but like maybe stand up and like make the attempt. And then, you know, like I'll get to you later on and then just sit down and then come back to it later on. I'm a big fan of callbacks that fit a show theme. It's like a big thing for me. But, you know, I can understand if it didn't
2: work. It went right over my head. We now go to, I think I'm saying this right, Archaeologica, Archaeologicas, I think. Um, So I think we're in the future. Well, we are in the future. Lorraine is the host, Tina Gemini, and she hosts a TV show talking about a group of explorers who entered a long corridor and opened a tomb uh, that was loaded with riches. These were the treasures of Morton Kamen, an older man and his wife, Shirley. The bodies were perfectly preserved thanks to air conditioning. So Lorraine is going through uh, and revealing all his riches and the stuff that uh, Morton Kamen has left behind for future generations. They interpret Gucci symbols on shoes were amulets for protection. And an alligator shirt, the uh, little alligator on the alligator shirt, was a holy relic that protected his life. There was a slow cooker that was believed to be filled with sacrifices for Morton Cayman, And the food was still good, of course, because it was a slow cooker. Then we have an answering machine with Morton's voice, uh, voiced by Belushi. And uh, she plays the uh, answering machine as just an outgoing message. Then they find a pair of zipper rubber underpants that were also hidden in the home., uh, this was great. it was very funny. It was a perfect length. I was sort of expecting a little bit more. As a history junkie, I kind of often wonder like what of our artifacts will people misinterpret in the in the future? And I kind of enjoyed it from that element too. What I really, really liked about this uh, uh, this sketch though, was that there was about 10 people in the audience who just died laughing at this sketch where the rest were pretty much quiet. If I was there, I would have been the 11th. And I thought Lorraine was on fire. And I and I liked Belushi's uh, confused old man in the 70s doing an answering machine message. I did not know where it was going when I saw the title.
0: Um, and then as soon as she said, the tomb of Martin came in i i lost it i thought it was just (laughs) so stupid and funny this is this is the kind of sketch that i love just the absolute absurdity of somebody from the future being so out of touch with how the past was looking at all of our stupid little trinkets and interpreting the same way that we do it with like egyptians and so forth absolutely Mm -hmm. loved it and um yeah it was it was beautiful and lorraine
1: was fantastic in this yeah i really enjoyed her futuristic outfit i thought uh that was really well done (laughs) And yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I did, I don't think I liked it as much as you guys, but I did think it was pretty cute. It's funny to think about what will people think of us in the future. It's, it, we're not talking like brilliant comedy writing here or anything, but I certainly enjoyed it. I I got a, some chuckles, but uh, yeah, if you guys liked it at an eight, I liked it at a six.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth watching it again, or if you ever watch it again, you know, just pay attention to the ten people that are laughing. <laughs> i love what that happens we now have a Chiron, and uh this person is often mistaken for an unknown we now go to gravity and this is howard johnson from the snl bands his side band and they play a song called tuba city get back this is a six tuba band formed by johnson he does a tuba solo then he's joined by the rest of the band there's some real fun jazzy stuff in there you know i, I know i always think of the tuba as a very limited instrument and uh, and they prove that it, it certainly is not as limited as i think it is and you rarely get to see six tubas together i really enjoyed this the audience loved it they started clapping along gave them a great response and then at the end they all held up their tubas which is kind of impressive cuz tubas can be pretty heavy. It was something it was something different, that's for sure.
0: I've never seen six tubas played like that in in that kind of scenario. I didn't even know what to expect. Like part of me was like I'm just going to skip over this musical point cuz I, I cannot stand the sand of a tuba, but I'm glad I didn't become incredibly lazy cuz part of me was just like I want this episode to end. But I stuck it out and I was very happy that I did. I really enjoyed it. The energy that they brought I thought was was perfect. I'm not I don't understand why they could not have been the uh the, the musical guest for the evening, to be honest, no offense to our musical guest for the episode, but just I uh, thought it flowed better with the evening.
1: Uh, this didn't do too much for me. I, I don't hate two musical guests on the same show. And to have it be instrumental again, I thought was a bit of a faux pas. Uh, but I mean, it was fun. I didn't hate it. I just I, I hate the use of music in this format like that i uh i don't like two musical guests
2: you're not the tuba guy are you matt that's Chili, i think who loves the yeah, tuba.
1: it is not me
2: so now we go to the good nights michael Sarazen says it wasn't such a bad booth day he thanks the musical guest and the cast and that's all we see of mr Sarazen tonight so now let's get into our ratings fellas uh the host what he did he did good except the monologue he didn't do that much um i enjoyed his vd counselor sketch I thought he was quite good in it, Um, and really the hockey sketch, penalty box, he excelled in that. So, I mean, I liked him, but he was definitely not a host that was super involved in the show. Why that was, I don't know. uh, Yeah, what he did was good, but he didn't do much.
0: If we were grading this as a school thing, he would get essentially, you know, marks for showing up to class, and that's pretty much it. I feel like he could have been more involved in parts of the show, could have had a better monologue... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like maybe there was a, a point that was missed, but then even even he said at the beginning, like, this is not kind of the thing that he normally does. Yeah. But I find sometimes people shine when they're put into a situation that they're not comfortable in. Um, mm-hmm. Acting-wise, not like saying, you know, put someone that's afraid of water into the ocean and expect them to swim. But I am saying, you know, maybe – stretch your horizons kind of thing
1: yeah participation trophy for this guy uh barely used looked a little uncomfortable was fine when he was there but you know certainly not a presence and yeah i mean the show could have gone on without him just fine i wouldn't have noticed
2: music i loved gravity thought it was different upbeat definitely a novelty in the good sense and uh yeah i enjoyed hearing six tubas at once uh, Keith Jarrett, obviously brilliant musician. I liked the first song. Second one was a bit much for me. This episode, and, and Matt, you've talked about it a lot, and maybe it's something we'll revisit in a different episode. But you know, I started wondering what is the role of music on this show, and what is the role of music on this show to me? Like, is it could it have been straight comedy? It, music is separate. Music is meant to be a, a different thing, but If that different thing is bringing you out of a flow you're already in, and this is not just Keith Jarrett, this is a few people like, you know, what's the point of the music? Is it just as Chili said, a time for people, or Rebecca, I think, said a time for the actress to go change, and I think it's more than that.
0: If we're looking at the two musical acts, Gravity clearly flowed better, mostly because they're, you know, he's part of the house band for the show, so obviously he might have a better feel for the atmosphere of the audience. I'm the exact opposite of you, Keith, when it came to piano man. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how little yeah. the music affected me on this episode. I thought his his second set was way better. His first set was, you know, I, I could have done without it. Uh, But again, that could also that to me is the placement of the first sketch, because I think the way where you place the music and where you have your breaks there is super important as well. But I'm of the mind, like instead of having musical acts, you could add stand up acts. But then again, that's um, that's something different entirely. That's two completely different battles to fight. Could it have been better? Yes, but I feel like that's just the theme of most of these early Saturday Night Lives is could the music be better? Yes and it seems to be like the answer every time.
1: As I mentioned, I don't like these two acts on one episode, but I do think uh, music is very important to the show. It's always been very important to the show for me. It's sort of like a little glimpse out the window of what's going on culturally musically at the time, at least as far as, uh, you know, it's it's not always top 40 pop music. This certainly wasn't top 40 pop music. You know, they tried something different. Good for them. It wasn't your boring dad rock that we've seen so darn much of uh this season the white dad beard am 70s gold uh yeah i just can't stand it so when i see something different it continues to be a breath of fresh air it was uh, a hard spot for that final act because i was just pissed that there was music on the way out of the show
2: (laughs) So uh, what was the worst sketch of the night, guys? I
1: guess I'm going to have to. Oh, shit. I, you know what? I'm going to. I'm sorry, fellas. I'm going to go with that hockey sketch. It didn't do anything for me. It didn't make me laugh. I didn't get it. It was not for me. It was my my least favorite stretch of the show.
0: I'm going with the VD sketch. Too long. It was too meandering. It didn't f- like not so much that it was a bad sketch, but for this entire theme of the show, it, it should not have been there. I think it should either have been shortened or like punch up done to it. Anything at all. Just didn't feel like it was a a, a strong showing, even for the host as well. Like, they, you know, they could have done something more with it. Disappointed, I guess is the best. way. yeah, I, I, I did not enjoy that.
2: I never pick these because I usually have a front runner sketch. I didn't tonight. So I actually I went with a monologue. You know, I try to avoid monologue and update, but I did enjoy every sketch a lot tonight. What was the best sketch of the night? I'm going with anthro,
0: however you pronounce it, anthropologic. Eye. Archaeologica? Or? Archaeologica. Um, I thought that was a great sketch. Um, it, was, it wasn't It was too long. The material was great. For me, it got the most laughs out of me of the entire night. I really enjoyed that one. Beautiful sketch that was written for me to enjoy.
1: E. Buzz Miller, Scumbag Dan with Lorraine off Route 6 doing the exercises. Uh, I'd seen it before. It was. A, I think it's a bit of a classic. And I, I still loved it. Uh, I thought it was really good. I thought they both killed their characters uh, in a good way. And... Yeah, uh, I it, w- it was scummy and very late night TV. I
2: liked it. <laughs> so your two least favorite were my two favorite. Um, <laughs> so I went with Penalty Box. Uh, just so unique. I loved the roller skates. Some of the uh, you know the set certainly gave it a bit. And I just I, I know too many people that this is the conversations. And and to be perfectly honest with you. For a big part of the sketch, I didn't realize that they were switching. Like I did most of my education in French and then worked in in, in French film and stuff like that. So I didn't notice that they were jumping back and forth for a bit. So like I said, when there's a sketch, good, bad or ugly, it seems to be uh, written with you in mind. Uh, How arrogant is that? But uh, yeah, it's just I I adored that sketch uh, a lot. Who's the star of the night? I'd have to say Lorraine.
1: Uh, I agree. Lorraine. She was a total workhorse. Great in everything she was in. Lots of uh, versatility, variety. I almost went with Gilda, but as good as she is, I found her kind of annoying uh, sometimes. with You know, that yelly kid and Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. So, yeah, I also went with
2: Lorraine. This was a two-horse race, um, but I also went with Lorraine. We got a sweep for Lorraine here tonight. We haven't had one of them. I don't know if we've ever had one of them. Um, yeah, no, this was Lorraine's night to shine, and uh, and boy, howdy did she ever! Great, not just good, but great in everything she did, as far as I was concerned. Overall, lads, well, I think we're going to wind up in different boats here. What I've been wanting from the show is them to try to maximize cast participation and get the not ready for primetime players out there as much as possible lately. They did tonight, and I've also been wanting them to be sort of light on returning characters, which they were. Because even the ones that were there are ones that I would say haven't really been overplayed. Carter, we haven't seen much from lately. E-Buzz is a rarity. Rosanna is still new, and there has been a bit of a break, though I do agree she was a bit tired this time. I find this episode, I don't know if it was because the host wasn't around much, but it had a very different vibe than a lot have recently. I don't know if it's the shift being on Lorraine and Gilda, because they were mainly the focus of almost everything tonight except Penalty Box. Maybe it's even the music or the uh, whatever just being kind of uh, understated tonight. It didn't feel like the same show we've been watching the last few weeks. The writing was significantly better tonight than it's been the last little while, like night and day better. This episode pretty much had everything I wanted, with only a few exceptions. There was a bad monologue. We didn't get much from the host, which does matter. Um, update was better, but not yet where it has to be. Uh, Keith Jarrett's second bit wasn't. Second musical thing didn't do it for me. That being said, I still think it was a very strong show. I really enjoyed this, and it went by really quick when I watched it. So I gave this one an 8. Okay, wow. <laughs> My rating is not going to be great. Um, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the, well the, <laughs> I'll
0: agree with you on the writing. I think the writing was fine. But I just think the execution of a lot of things was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, uh, like, your first sketch after you're thrown in the garbage monologue is just this super long not great sketch and then right into your musical act and just like a lot of the thunder just pulled right off right off from under you especially considering that the cold open was actually quite enjoyable Uh, but you did have a lot of nice sketches peppered in here and there a lot of good character work um when when it shined it shined and when it didn't it didn't I liked gravity. I just wish gravity was the musical act. I'll be honest. I thought Uh they did a really, I thought it was a really good job. Would, do you end the show with that? Mm, No, but that's what they decided to do again. It's, it's an episode maybe where they just wanted to try new things or like new pacing or a new layout. Uh, But it did not hit well with me. Despite it being a short episode, I felt it drug on a lot for me Mm -hmm. outside of uh, a couple of small choice bits. For me, the, the host Kind of drug it down a fair amount because I really was expecting a bit more out of someone. I've like this could be my introduction to somebody because that's a big thing for Saturday Night Live is uh, either, you know, the host or you're not. But like this is a a good chance for that person to get more of a a household name. Like it feels like it didn't even try. I'm going with a
1: five for the episode five out of ten i really liked the cold open uh the monologue was trash that first sketch was exhausting there, there were more misses than hits but uh the hits were really good hits dan ha- had his really good moments tonight with carter and E. Buzz. Uh, but I mean, like you said, it was Lorraine's show. Gilda was kind of aggravating. I really liked that Schiller reel, uh, even though it made me sad. There was too much music for me, but it was such a pleasant change from the music we usually hear on the show. I was mostly okay with it. Yeah, most of the sketches were okay. I didn't like the hockey sketch, but whatever. It was short. Yeah, I didn't like that uh, time capsule sketch as much as you guys either. But gosh, when I liked it, I liked it. Ugh, tough position for me. I'm going to go six. I give it a six.
2: So uh, we wind up with a 6.3. I gave an 8. Matt gave a 6. Kevin gave a 5. Average 6.3. The IMDb gives it a 7. We're pretty close to what we, uh, to to them actually on this one, only 0.7 away. This episode is ranked 15th for the year and 353 of all episodes to date that sounds even though I liked this episode I'm not surprised to see it at 15 based on certainly your guys thoughts does that gel for you 15 out of 20 uh it sounds a bit right I mean I don't
1: I don't have access to my history of scores or anything but yeah it
2: gels it, it yeah. sounds like it gels it's it's for our average That's it's tracking for that uh based on our numbers here yeah Cool. So very, uh, very black and white tonight as uh, as we kind of walk away with different opinions on this one. You know, we didn't even really like the same sketches the same amount. But uh, but yeah, interesting episode to watch. it's It's like I said, it's weird when you have a host and a musical guest that you really have no frame of reference for. I will say this, though, walking into this, I originally
0: was going to rate it a three out of ten. <laughs> so your point of view kind of helped a little bit, bringing up the score for me. It's just it's like like I told my wife earlier today after I watch, was like it's just kind of a meh episode.
2: Uh-huh. We really got to get you a great one, Kevin. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> Even if it's not a great
0: episode, I look forward to the the conversation afterwards. So it's, for sure, it's, yeah. it's still a good time. It's still a good time no matter
2: you know how the episode goes. And we're going to have you back for a special third chair looking at uh, the top season one sketches as well, sometimes very soon after the end. When we finish season three, we're going to do a, a retrospective of our retrospective with uh, hopefully you can join us for that. Of course. And also a uh, looking at the works of Gary Weiss as well. I'd love to hear what you thought because you've only seen The Joke Store, right?
0: Yeah, I only saw The Joke Store and I really enjoyed it. So I might just hunt down and get a better idea of... Um his previous stuff that he had, though I'm sure I've seen some over the years. Like it's like, yeah. I, I've never watched old SNL clips. Like it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's the
2: background noise while I work here at home. So yeah. check your inbox in about three days. So Kevin, thank you again for your work uh, in season three. It's been a, a wide gulf between two episodes, but it's always great to have you in.
0: Always glad to be here. Always glad to talk to the Tullius. I enjoy, always enjoy it. It's a, it's a nice little highlight when I get to come in and uh,
2: talk shop, if you will. So, Matt, we're going to be back in a week. Do you know who the uh, host and musical guests are? I do. Okay. And they are? Steve Martin and the Blues Brothers. Steve Martin joining the Five Timers Club. Yeah, and the Blues Brothers. I'm excited. How are you?
1: I'm I'm done with Steve Martin right now I'm getting a little sick of seeing him And I fucking hate the Blues Brothers Are you, are you coming in with an open mind Or are you I am, I'm definitely coming okay. in with an open mind With regards to Steve Martin I okay. know what the Blues Brothers are going to serve me And I'm just not looking forward to it I'll sit through it I will try to have an open mind I'll try to enjoy it I try to enjoy everything <laughs> I don't want to not enjoy something that's absurd uh, I want to enjoy everything I consume uh, digitally, media-wise Things like that You know, I'll try again. But I've tried several times in my life,
2: and not once has it worked. Well, I like the Blues Brothers, and and I also like Steve Martin. Our third chair was specifically picked as somebody who has very little knowledge of the Blues Brothers. So they're coming in basically knowing that it's uh, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and they sing. So we've got someone right down the middle. So Matt and I will be back in about a week. But until then, we'll be sitting in the penalty box curing DD here in SNL.